I want to introduce Tommy. Uh, Tommy and actually Mike and I have known Tommy for, uh, for a long time. I've known him for over 10 years. I think Mike has known him for even longer. Uh, Tommy's a fellow EFC pastor. Um, so as you know, you know our church is a, um, a sister church. Too. We have a whole bunch of sister churches. Um, so he grew up and ra- was raised in Southern California. And uh, uh, he actually grew up at EFC Cerritos, which is about you know, maybe 30, 40 minutes away. And he went to Talbot Seminary, and he graduated there, and then he served as the pastor at EFC Cerritos. So it's kind of cool, right? He, was, he grew up at a church, and then eventually came to be um, the pastor there. And then he went off to EFC Orange County. And Tommy and his amazing wife have uh, uh, twin boys, and they are Carter and Cody. Uh, he enjoys playing basketball, uh, watching movies, and, and trying to cook. Right? And he especially loves meeting people, uh, listening, and especially listening to the stories and introducing them to Jesus. And uh, the Wongs are actually currently in transition, waiting on their next assignment from the Lord. All right, with that, uh, please welcome Tommy Wang. I didn't get a chance to test the mic. You guys can hear me? All right, good. Well, thank you, Andy. Um, and thank you, Generations Church, for inviting me and welcoming me uh, to worship and to serve the Lord with you today. Um, yeah, uh, I, I know some of you, uh, I didn't get a chance to, we were kind of working out some technical things, but I didn't get a chance to meet or like greet, so maybe afterwards I could uh, do that. But uh, I do know some of you uh, from my time at Harvest LA. Uh, so while I was at UCLA, I, I was at uh, EFCLA for three years. Uh, and like Andy said, uh, Pastor Andy said, I, knew, I know Pastor Mike for about 17 years now. Um, when his kids were a lot smaller and when he only had two kids. So um, he was, you know, he was a very instrumental mentor and disciple for me in my, my own journey into pastoral ministry. Uh, so when he told me he wasn't feeling well and uh, asked if I could come speak at Generations, uh, it was a no-brainer for me. And I just had to check with my wife because she's got to take care of the two boys. And they should be napping right about now. Um, so Generations Church, uh, I heard your theme for 2022 is branching out, right? And I was thinking of a message to build off of that theme. Um, and without hearing all that Pastor Mike wants to you know, flesh out with branching out, uh, I do believe at least part of this idea of branching out involves being more intentional and active in getting the gospel out. Amen? Okay. Uh, so I want to start off and throw out a couple questions for you. Uh, how many of you have invited someone, an, an unbeliever in particular, to church in the last year? Yeah. You could raise your hand. You'd be proud. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, Now, if I switch the question a bit and say, okay, when's the last time you actually shared the gospel with someone? You don't have to raise your hands or, you know, respond. Like, just think about that. When's the last time you actually shared the gospel with someone? So I think generally speaking, we're more willing to invite someone to a church service or a Bible study, or a Friday fellowship, whatever it may be, 
than to actually introduce someone to Jesus himself. In other words, we're more comfortable with the idea of bringing people to church than actually bringing the gospel to people. And why is that? See, I think most of us, and I say this you know, just kind of as a generality, but most of us know the gospel. And I'm sure we'd all agree that sharing the gospel is important, right? But at the same time, I think most of us would admit that evangelism, it just doesn't happen very often in our lives, if at all. And I'm not pointing any fingers into anyone in particular. I don't know your situations and your circumstances. But I think in a way, evangelism is is a lot like exercise, right? We, We know we need to do it, but how many of us are actually exercising? Why don't we share the gospel? Well, there could be a variety of reasons, and I'm not here to exhaust all the various reasons for that, but I want to suggest that the main issue, the main issue is that we haven't allowed the gospel to sink deeply into who we are, to go real deep into who we are as people. Most of us are familiar with the message, right? God created us, but we rebelled against him, this holy God, and, and we deserve to be punished for our sins. But instead of condemning us, God, out of his abundant grace and mercy, he sends his son into the world as a man to suffer and to die in our place. Why? So we can be forgiven, reconciled to God, and receive eternal life through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. We know that message. Some of us have heard that message for years. But how much of this good news has actually seeped down into our heart of hearts? It's like marinating meat. And uh, I love doing this, you know, when I preach. It's like I like putting up food. Because usually the service is before lunchtime. I want to see like how much, how much are people hungry for the word as opposed to hungry for that, that, that food that's coming. But, and I bet Pastor Mike has already, I put money down that Pastor Mike has already said something about marinating, right? Like, let it marinate. You know, that's, I probably got it from him, you know. But if you're marinating meat or you're marinating steak, you've got it up here, you don't dip it in for a minute and then take it out. You don't just like splash some sauce or spray some some marinade on that meat. Because if you do, it's just lightly coating the surface. You take it out and all that juice, all that goodness, it just drips off. And it hasn't really done anything to the meat. The flavors haven't had a chance to sink into the, the meat. And that sauce will just go to waste. I think our hearts and our minds are a lot like raw meat. Apologize for that comparison, but it's a lot like these raw steaks. And the gospel is this amazing, rich, umami sauce. Every weekend, if our pastors and our Bible study teachers, whoever's preaching or teaching, every week, if they're faithfully doing their job, 
You're getting this bomb umami sauce poured on you, lathered and brushed on you. But oftentimes what happens is when service ends or, you know, prayer, closing prayer, you say amen, everyone gets up, Bible study is over. More often than not, that gospel sauce just drips off. And then we go into our weeks and we spend a lot more time soaking in all the flavors of the world. I really only have one exhortation this morning. One exhortation. The rest of the message is going to be explanation. And here's my encouragement for us all today. Let's set ourselves in the gospel, allowing our hearts, our minds to marinate in this delicious sauce so that the flavors of God's amazing grace His great mercy, His unfailing love, His forgiveness, all that goodness sinks deeply into who we are and changes us. That's my only exhortation to you all today. Let's set ourselves in this gospel regularly, constantly. The rest of this message is about how the gospel actually makes us missional. How the gospel makes us missional. And I'm going to bring up three things in us, I think, that are relatively true you know, for, for a lot of believers. Three things in us that keep us from sharing the good news with others. Now, they're not the only three reasons why we don't evangelize or why don't, we don't go out there, but I think these are three of the main re, you know, factors. And then I'm going to explain how the gospel actually changes us in these areas. Okay, so let's start with the reality that our hearts are often just cold towards people. Now, I say my, myself included. Here's the reality. We, we don't really care enough about others to share the good news with them. And I know that sounds really harsh, but we're often indifferent towards the lost. And I think it's very similar to when we see homeless people on the street. Many of us have passed by. We've seen, you know, Vagrants, homeless men and women who are just on the streets, fending for themselves, trying to get some food or some money, sleeping in tents. And oftentimes we look away and we ignore them, myself included. You know, I think we're, we can all say we're guilty of this. Now, I'm not suggesting that every time you see a homeless person that you ought to and have to, you feel like you have a duty to do something right then and there. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that's our you know, ultimate responsibility. But for many of us, I think we've learned to be okay with doing nothing. Like that's become acceptable and, and just normal for us. We've become desensitized to it. And, and in a similar way, there are people in our lives every day or, or every week we regularly come across at our schools, in our workplaces, you know, our friends, we go to the gym, at the park, cafes. Every person that you come across in your, in your day-to-day week who doesn't personally know Jesus Christ is spiritually homeless. And too many of us, we just look away and we just ignore their need for Jesus, not even thinking to even pray for them. Well, you know how Paul felt about the lost in Romans 9. 
He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of the brothers, my brothers. The Apostle Paul felt such a deep ache in his heart for the unbelieving Jews around him, he could only express it by saying he would trade places with them. That he would be condemned so that they could be saved. Now, while that's impossible, it speaks to his deep concern for the lost. He was willing to suffer so that others would be saved. That's Christ like compassion. And he wasn't all talk. Paul, Paul did whatever he could to lead others to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 9, He says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul wasn't just glad that he was saved and that he knew Jesus. He wanted others to experience this too. I just have a very simple, small kind of uh, illustration to hopefully kind of uh, bring this uh, in in a personal way, but... Um, a couple, you know, this was a couple years ago, uh, before our boys were born, we, we, my wife and I went on a baby moon to the island of Kauai, in, in Hawaii, and one of the things that we did was we, drove, we did a, a drive tour you know, to see Waimea Canyon. You no need to hike here, uh, you just drive around to different spots and you go out to the lookout and you get to see the canyon. And so... The day started off, we parked in a parking lot, and then we walked all the way to the entrance um, to get, like, you know, you pay a certain admission or parking fee. And uh, while we're in line, you know, it's kind of a long line, uh, while we're in line, the person in the very front turns around, this woman, and she, she tells everyone in line, she's like, you need, you need your license plate number in order to get this parking fee pass or to pay the fee. And, of course... Pretty much everyone in line is like a tourist, so we all had rental cars. And if you don't have a rental car, you don't know your license plate. So I had to go back, I had to leave the line, go back to my car, and go jot down the, you know, the license plate, and then go back, get back in line. Well, on the way, I saw people who were parking their car. They just parked, they're getting out, they're getting their stuff out, and you know, they don't know that they need their plate numbers also. So... Um, you know, I had the, the thought came to mind, just stop and like pause and say, hey, you know, just, just want to let you know, you're going to need your license plate number in order to go, you know, pay for that parking. Uh, simple gesture. And uh, wanted to save them the trip of having to go back to their cars like I did. I could have just let them go and, you know, find out and then have to go back, but I thought the nice thing to do was to let them know. Now, it's not like I was saving anyone's lives here, so don't get me wrong. Um, but I cared enough to stop to give them a heads up. And I think this is a very, 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 very small glimpse of what the gospel does to us. The gospel produces compassion for the lost. In the gospel, we see God's great compassion for sinners like us. Apart from God's mercy, we would all be lost. We would all be doomed. We'd all be heading towards unimaginable suffering. And when we begin to realize 
how good the gospel really is, how good Jesus really is, we'll want others to know him too. Our indifference is gradually replaced with compassion. Caring is the first step. Our hearts need to break or at least ache for the lost. And having our hearts and our minds marinating in the gospel will definitely do that. But you know, we can care about people yet still doubt that they will ever believe. So here's the second obstacle I want to bring up today. Skepticism. Not our own skepticism towards God, but more of a skepticism about people. We can easily write people off thinking that these people will never believe. You know, in our eyes, some unbelievers, they, they literally become never believers. Well, especially when we see how they react to anything related to God or the Bible or, or the church. Not only do they seem like they have zero interest in what we want to talk about, but sometimes they're, they're really dismissive and even hostile. So naturally, we want, to know, we want them to know Jesus, but everything that we see and know about them, every interaction we've had with them tells us and leads us to believe that they will never be open to hearing the gospel. So mentally, we cross them off the list. We move on. I've done that, and I'm sure some of you can relate with that. But, you know, we're forgetting how God saves sinners. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The gospel is about God raising dead sinners to new life in Christ. It declares that God saves us by grace alone. See, that means salvation is a gift. It's something that cannot be earned, but is only freely given to us. And God's grace doesn't just work for those who seem more likely to believe in Jesus. God's grace is enough for anyone. And Paul knows this firsthand, personally. In in 1 Timothy chapter 1, He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who might believe on him and receive eternal life. Now, many of us see Paul as the model Christian, arguably the best Christian And it seems ridiculous to us that Paul would see himself as the worst sinner. But Paul never forgot his past. He literally hunted Christians, persecuting them for promoting this message, what he believed to be a false messiah. He was spiritually blind and lost in his own self-righteousness. Yet Jesus showed him unbelievable mercy. He opened his eyes to the gospel and saved him. And by saving the worst sinner, God was showing that he can save any sinner. 
So when we're, skeptical, when we're skeptical about this person or that person or those people, and we're skeptical that any of them would ever believe in Jesus, we're really doubting God's ability to bring them to faith. We've forgotten the unlimited patience of Christ. We've forgotten the power of God in the gospel. Now, I imagine um, many of you enjoy going to Disneyland. Who loves going to Disneyland? Yeah. I'm a big fan of Disneyland, and uh, we're planning to take our boys in the fall before they turn three. Um, I'm told that it's a very different experience with kids, right? <laughs> but my older brother, I have an older brother. His name's Lawrence. My older brother, he's not a fan of Disneyland. I call him an unbeliever. <laughs> So we would try to get him to come with us to Disneyland, and uh, he'd always be like, no, man, Disneyland is way too crowded. It's way too expensive. Barely has any roller coasters. I'd much rather go to Magic Mountain. That's my older brother. And we would be like, trust me, Disneyland is way better. It's magical. But he wasn't buying it. And after a while, I kind of gave up and just like, stopped asking him. Uh, we would go as a group, and he would just, you know, we'd never, like, try to invite him. But a few years ago, a group of us were planning to go again to Disneyland, and I had the thought, like, the thought kind of came back to my mind, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so confident if he just went, he would enjoy it. <laughs> you know, just, got, just got to get him to go, and he'll love it. And I don't know what changed in him, but he, he was willing to go, a little reluctantly, but he went with us. He gave in, and, and guess what? He absolutely loved it. You, know, you could tell like, you know, the change in expression in his face. By the end of the day, he was a believer. The magic of Disney had won him over. And I believe the grace of God can do far more for sinners. See, the gospel gives us hope that anyone can be saved. It reminds us that no one is beyond the grace of God. No one is too far or too difficult for God to save. When we really see the beauty and the power of the gospel, we will always have hope for people, even the most unlikely people in our eyes. Because our hope is not in them, but in God. There is abundant mercy and grace for sinners in the gospel. So as we marinate in the gospel, our skepticism about people will fade as we are filled with the hope that God can and does save even the worst. So we can care about people getting saved. We can hope that they will believe and yet still we can be afraid to speak. Last obstacle today, just fear. Fear, and more, more specifically, the fear of rejection. We're afraid of the ridicule that comes with sharing the gospel. You know? Let's be honest, we all want to be liked, right? We all want to be accepted and be part of a group, or at least not disliked. 
We may not care if we're, you know, super popular, but we don't want to be unpopular. But in our culture today, even identifying as a Christian, outside the church, of course, can cause people to look at us differently. And, and to actually talk about our faith, well, you know, to say that we believe in Jesus, that he's, he's Lord and Savior, that he's the only way, well, that will definitely affect our reputations in our relationships. Oftentimes, not in a positive way. And out of fear of what others might think of us or how they may treat us, we tend to avoid the gospel in favor of more socially acceptable language, like, I go to church, or I have faith, or I pray. We know Paul wasn't shy about his faith. In Romans chapter 1, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, why would anyone be ashamed of the gospel? Why would anyone be ashamed? Well, unlike today, the cross back then in the first century, it was not this universal religious symbol that people celebrated. It was a horrific instrument of humiliation, suffering, and death. And the gospel makes this scandalous claim that God has provided salvation through Jesus of Nazareth dying on that humiliating cross. Scandalous claim that the only way to be saved is by trusting and associating yourselves with this disgraced and dead Messiah. That was the the perception from the, the secular world. This was foolishness to many. But to Paul, this was the wisdom of God. This is the power of God. He was not ashamed. He's not afraid of the ridicule and the rejection that's associated with the cross, with Jesus. Because in Christ, he found an unshakable anchor for his soul. A few chapters later in Romans 8, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor debt, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's not afraid of persecution. He doesn't need the approval of men. He doesn't need the affections of the world. Because in Christ, the unconditional, unchanging, unfailing love of God has become his anchor. In high school, in high school, I actually enjoyed watching romantic comedies. And uh, whereas the younger people call them rom-coms, but I was too afraid to admit it. Um, if I, I thought if my friends knew I watched these rom-coms, then you know, I'd never hear the end of it. They would laugh at me, mock me, think I was soft and weird. So I just kind of secretly enjoyed my rom-coms, and I never talked about it. Then one day, uh, I learned that another friend, he actually liked rom-coms too. 
And from that point on, like, I felt this newfound freedom, and I think he did as well. We weren't afraid to express our appreciation of romantic comedies. And even though all the guys did call us soft and labeled us as, in, like, as sensitive, we didn't care. We knew we weren't alone. We, we, we knew that someone was with us, and that was, that was our source of security and confidence. And in a far greater way, in a far, far greater way, knowing that God is with us, knowing that God is always with us, having His love in Christ as our unshakable anchor enables us to overcome the fear of, of what others will think of us or do to us. My last point today is that the gospel provides the security to face rejection. Now, we likely won't face the same kind of persecution that Paul did. You know, I don't think so. But the social risk to sharing the gospel, to sharing our faith, is very real. Don't make, make no mistake. The social risk is already there and has been here. Yet the gospel gives us real confidence to speak the truth even though it's unpopular. When our identity and our worth is anchored in this gospel and we're anchored by God's love for us in Christ, we don't need the approval of people and we're less afraid of rejection. We're thinking even more than what you think of me, I care about what you think of Jesus. See, the fear of man can paralyze us and keep us silent about Jesus. But the love of God will mobilize us to boldly testify about Christ. And the gospel is the best picture, the best reminder of his love for us. Marinate in this gospel and your deep fear of rejection, it will eventually give way to an even deeper security in Christ. So let me close with this thought. Kind of go back circular, you know, come full circle back to the beginning. What if we didn't just invite people to church? What if we became missional people who actually brought the gospel to people? Imagine that. You know? The more our own hearts and our, our own minds are saturated with the gospel, amazed at what God has done for us in Christ the more we will want others to know and experience Him too. Gospel people don't just bring people to church. Gospel people bring the gospel to people. Generations, as you seek to branch out this year, my encouragement to you all is this. Set yourselves in the gospel, marinating Get the, that image. Marinating in all the glorious realities of Christ. Let all the goodness of God in that good news sink deep into your soul, into who you are. And by God's grace, you will branch out and you will bring the gospel to people. Okay, let's pray. Father, we humbly acknowledge you 
that you are the God who is worthy of all praise and worship and glory. And we confess that in ourselves we have failed miserably to offer what you deserve. But praise be to your name because out of your mercy and grace you have provided a way for us to be forgiven, to be rescued, to be reconciled to you, to experience life, real life in Christ. We thank you for the suffering and the sacrifice of your precious Son. He who did not deserve any suffering came to shoulder and absorb all the wrath that we deserved. What an awesome reality this is, that we have been blessed to know, many of us, from a young age to now. This good news has been available for us for years. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of this gospel, to marinate in this truth day after day, no matter how old or young we are in the faith, so that we would be transformed from the inside out and that we would be missional people who go out and bring that good news to others, to the lost that we would fulfill your great commission. Help us to do this, Lord. It's your power, not ours. It's your truth that changes us. It's your spirit that leads us. But you give us a will. You give us a will to decide, are we going to sit in the juices of the gospel or in the juices of the world? What will we soak in? I pray that you would move us set ourselves in the gospel. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.